Hello and welcome back to Ninjas and Bots, or welcome to Ninjas and Bots if you skipped episode zero and jumped right into episode one, because that's perfectly fine and we don't judge you. I am John. And I'm Lane. And we are here to talk about Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, in this number one episode, we are going to be talking about the first issue of the IDW Transformers series, which is issue zero of the miniseries Infiltration. And Lane, I'm excited. I am so excited. I love the series so much. Um, it's, I wasn't reading this when it, when it first came out, like we said in the zero episode, um, but I did notice that there's a pretty significant gap between issue zero and the beginning of the actual monthly release of the miniseries. And I don't know why. Yeah. I looked up a little bit, didn't really look super far, but I don't know if that was just a random marketing choice or if the issue zero was released for a special occasion or what. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't look into that because I, I'm focused. I'm, I'm zeroed in on issue zero here. So I <laughs> I didn't even, yeah, see what I did there. Um, yeah, I didn't look into the big gap. So is well, it a the, gap in publication date? Yeah, so the first, uh, the issue we're doing today was September 30th. And then 10, 11, 12, 1, four months later is when uh, issue one came out for end of January. And oh. then it's monthly after that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, like I said, why they did that. But maybe there was a reason, or maybe they just wanted to. I don't know. Issue zeros are weird. And episode zeros are weird. But we did one anyway. We did. Yeah. All right. Well, I, shall we dive in? Let's do. All right. So issue zero of Infiltration was written by Simon Furman, art by E.J. Sue, colors by John Roch, letters by Tom Belong and Robbie Robbins, edits by Chris Ryle. It has a cover date of October 2005, and the cover has a, a moody purple sky with four Autobots in the front, only one of which we meet in this first issue. Um, should I name them, or...? Uh, yeah, I think um, people out there probably know who Transformers are, so I don't know that we'd ever lead to obscure the fact that these characters are here. Yeah, I, I like, I know Ratchet, and I know... Uh, Wheeljack, but the other, like you, you said, one of, and then Jazz is there, and then what, who's that other one? Is that Prowl? That's Prowl. Okay. Of infamous phase two Prowlness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so inside we have a cast of characters, most of which are still in silhouette. We have only one of the Autobots um, uncovered, and that's Ratchet. And on the Decepticon cast, we have Runabout, Runamuck, Starscream and Thundercracker, and then the rest are still in silhouette. Infiltration. They are among us, here, now. They have been on Earth for more than two years, the populace at large unaware of their presence or their terrifying intentions. An advanced guard of alien mechanoids and forms designed to mimic local forms of transportation, communications hardware, and weaponry, instigating a stage plan of staggering proportions. Phase one has begun. At a bus station in Phoenix, Arizona, a streetwise teenage girl stakes out a potential mark, casually eyeing a man for his palm computer. This was the mid-2000s, folks. His palm commuter, computer, his bus tickets to Los Angeles, and his bagel. Also staking out this man is a Decepticon, disguised as a sleek black sports car. For both the Decepticon and the girl, it's target acquired. Later on the bus, the man has fallen asleep while the girl, in the seat behind him, 
uses a pocket knife to cut a hole in the man's duffel bag and steals the palm computer. With her prize in hand, she feigns illness to get the bus driver to let her off. She waves the bus on. Works every time. While she sits at the side of the road to look at her new toy, an ultralight SM40 notebook with cell modem and power pack, two sports cars, one white and one black, pass by going the same direction as the bus. The girl, named Verity Carlo, hikes her rucksack back onto her shoulder, then sticks her thumb out for an approaching vehicle. Briefly, in Oregon, a message comes through to Starscream that the target has been sanitized, but the cash is missing. Starscream demands they find it. Back in Arizona, Verity has caught a ride in a van driven by a young ginger named Hunter Onion, spelled like onion, but with an apostrophe. The girl introduces herself as Verity Carter. Hunter tells Verity he can only take her as far as Desert Center if she's going to L.A. because he heads north from there. Considering the lack of an exciting destination, the gear in the van, the alien on his t-shirt, and a figure of an alien hanging from the rearview mirror, Verity makes the guess that Hunter is looking for little green men. Hunter manages, not exactly, before slamming on the brakes and spooking Verity into whipping out two cans of pepper spray. She says, just turn around and take me back to the interstate. Whatever your intentions are, I want out. But Hunter wants to investigate the plume of smoke that had caught his attention in the first place. They drive forward and see the bus disabled in some rubble. The passengers are standing around, perplexed. Hunter opens his door and asks a nearby passenger if everyone is okay. The man replies, Amazingly, yeah, these two cars, they hit us, forced us right off the road. There's this real spike through the eyes flash and nothing. Next thing, we're all standing out here, minus one. Verity realizes the missing passenger is the one she had stolen from. The bus driver tells Hunter to go ahead and take off as the bus company has them on GPS and are on their way. But then Hunter sees three more explosions in the distance. Back in the van, Verity says, Before, when I asked you about little green men, you said not quite. So what exactly are you looking for? Hunter replies, Would you believe giant robots? He goes on to tell her about his website, Mechatopia.com, which supports a widely held theory that two or more years ago the Earth was invaded by extraterrestrial mechanoids and that humans haven't noticed them because they're in disguise. Verity lets out a guffaw, but then the van is dwarfed by a jet flying extremely low to the ground with a deafening sonic boom shattering the desert. The interior of the van is bathed in a brilliant red light. Verity yells at Hunter for driving them into some sort of military testing range and to get them out of there now. Hunter says, It's not military, at least not our military. I think maybe we were just scanned, and whatever it was looking for, it found. Thundercracker banks around for a second pass. Hunter and Verity exit the van and run for cover. A missile explodes nearby. Frantic, Verity tells Hunter to take off his shirt and wave it to make the pilot understand that it's a mistake and they surrender. However, Hunter had gotten a good look inside the empty cockpit and says surrender is not an option. They run, with no hope of outrunning a jet. Just when it seems all hope is lost, an ambulance with guns on its roof appears and begins firing at the jet. In the driver's seat, a glitchy blonde man with a rather creepy smile says to the kids, If you want to live... Come with me. That is and the he's end not even of a Terminator. One. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is the beginning of the reintroduction of the 
Transformers franchise. Now, it's probably worth pointing out that Dreamwave had tried to do this a couple years earlier, and it had been pretty well received, but that company went bankrupt for whatever reason and only lasted a couple of years. So they, they folded about a year ago whenever this issue came out. And, um, and you know what? Maybe that was part of why IDW put this issue out ahead of the other issues. Maybe there's some sort of like jump on this now if you want the rights kind of thing going on. Possibly. Um, but yeah, I actually had gotten some of those Dreamwave issues and it was in the idea of like bringing my cartoon characters to modern comics art life. That's where that uh, desire was primed. But here uh, we go. I'll have to track those issues down. Because, yeah, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that some of the side projects involved in the IDW stuff were actually originally planned as Dreamwave stories, like the Megatron origin, but I'm not positive on that. I'll, I'll do research on that as we go along. Um, okay, so there was a text page in this issue, um, and if you have the collections, you don't have these text pages, so I don't know how much time I want to spend on them each week, but um, but yeah, you read the text there, and it's mm-hmm. really cool how it introduces everything, and I like the uh, shadowy headshots slowly revealing who all is in the story. Yes. Yeah, I thought that uh, was well done, because it kind of introduces you to them without doing that clunky roll call that the older issues did, mm-hmm. and um doesn't overwhelm you with too many at once. And if you know your Transformers, you can be like, oh, okay, they're in the story. And if you don't know your Transformers, then whenever you see shadowy figures, you'd be like, okay, that person's called Starscream. I don't know what they are yet, and they're in the shadows, but I can tell that they match the front picture on the cover, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's probably worth noting that Simon Furman wrote phase one has begun at the beginning of this without realizing how much weight the phrase phase one would eventually get to the publishing plans. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that it says that they, the Transformers have been there for two or more years. I think, yeah, just a few more than two, but yes. Um, I think, I think that this story is the first major version of Transformers that throws out the four million year sleeps. Yeah, okay. I, don't I think still had that in the back for- of my mind, though. Right? Yeah, so I did too when I was first reading this, and it wasn't until I was kind of a ways into it, I was like, wait a second. They <gasps> haven't been here for four million years. They've they've just gotten here. Yeah. So I'm looking at the first page, mm-hmm. and I notice an ambulance in the background, because we see the bus and the the man, the salesman, waiting to get on the bus. Um, but in the background, I see an ambulance. I don't... F- what, could that be Ratchet? I don't know. I think that is Ratchet. Oh. Um, and good catch, because I didn't see him. I did see the black sports car parked off to the side, because yeah. we see him more close up in the next page. Right. Yeah, I did see him, but I, the, uh, I've i read this a couple times now, and I just now noticed that ambulance. Um, which, it, yeah, I think you're right that it is Ratchet, because what would an ambulance be doing there unless it was having an emergency run, in which case it would be parked in the emergency lane and not parked at a, in the parking lot. Right. So interesting. So it must have, he must have been following uh, Runamuck around. So whatever Runamuck and Runabout are after, which we, you know, figure is probably the dude with the Palm Pilot. Yeah. Um, and I call Ratchet him Ra- it's an Runabout is a black one. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I actually was just going to go with it because I don't know which is which. <laughs> I had to go back and scroll up. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the previous page. Yeah. Um, okay. So Verity says bus stations to me are like malls to regular girls. And I'm like, I remember when shopping walls were a thing. Mm-hmm. And we palm, had, palm pilots. 
and Palm Pilots. Yes, those were so cool whenever mm-hmm. we didn't have smartphones yet. Yeah. And once we got smartphones and touchpads, they were just, who needs a BlackBerry anymore? <laughs> um, okay, so minor note on Verity. She gives her name in two different ways in this story, both as Verity uh-huh. Carter and Verity Carlo. And right. And I, I tried to look says, that up. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. Like, Because uh, you probably found the same note that I did. Well, the TF Wiki has her listed as Carlo and that Carter was probably just a typo whenever she's emphasizing her name to Hunter O'Neill. Yeah. And my thought, you know, because I'd read that and I thought another possibility is maybe because she's streetwise, maybe she didn't want to give her real name to this Mm -hmm. stranger, but she gave the name Verity, which is a very unusual first name. So, yeah. So I I think it was just um, a mistake. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that she might be trying to disguise her identity and not doing a good job of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because she's a kid. Yeah, very, very possible. I do like her as a character, though. Yeah, I was going to ask, what are your first impressions of Verity and Hunter? I really like them both. Um, I'm not sure if Verity is homeless, but she's at least on the streets and kind of making her way through life through um, less than legal means, but she's doing what she has to do to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but she's very smart and she notices things because of uh, this lifestyle that she has. Like she looks at this person on the bus and she's like, okay, his suit looks lived in. He has fast food complexion. I guess he's a long distance salesman. Um, So she sits back and she doesn't really engage with people at first. She just sits back and watches. And I really like that. Yeah. Um, I like her a lot. She's probably the character in this first series that I uh, cued into the most. Hunter probably being the second. Um, and there's a comic I read just recently for the Rod Pod that had a nod back to Verity. And I was like, oh, I remember her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she seems like she's going to sell the Palm Pilot. So she has a vector that she's on. But does that include going back to a home at the end of the day? Or is she on the streets? We don't really know. Right. Yeah, we don't really know. Um, So I kind of feel like, though, that she is occasionally written the way a middle-aged dude would write a teenage girl's perspective. And that's occasionally clumsy. I don't know if you thought that as you're reading along. Uh, Possibly. But I also remember what it was like to be Verity's age. Uh Uh-huh. And kind of knowing, you know... I I wasn't streetwise. I'm still not streetwise. But doing things partially smart and then sometimes, yeah, I don't know if I'm just remembering my time in my life where I was that age. And I I think that's why I could connect with her because I could see me being similar. Mm -hmm. So just to get your opinion, to to point out one of the things I was thinking of, whenever she first notices that Hunter is not roving over her with his eyes she like mentally notes that which you know seems like a reasonable reaction Mm -hmm. but then whenever things go wrong and she calls him okay that innocent i wouldn't know what to do with a girl if i had one act yeah i don't know if that's the kind of thing that someone would say out loud or not yeah yeah it seems a little um quippy like a little smart and a little on the nose for someone who's that age that's Um, what it's it's on the nose yeah it's like Maybe a thought that she has, but do people actually say that? I don't know. Yeah, but it it's it also 
shows that she is not afraid to bite if she needs to. <laughs> yes, yes. And I especially loved when, you know, the moment something looks like it's going wrong, the, the panel cuts to her and she's like just kind of hunched up in the corner against the door. And she's got two canisters of pepper spray pointed right at Hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like Furman's dialogue and his inner monologue of Verity. I feel like those parts of the comic flow very smoothly. Yeah. Um. I think that his transitions between scenes sometimes give more information than a transition should. And so there's some bits of information that are easy to miss. Like whenever, um, let's see. The first one I thought about was whenever Verity gathers all of her stuff up, the cars are driving by and she sticks her thumb out mm-hmm. and we go to other stuff and we come back and Verity's in a van with Hunter. And if you didn't look really carefully at that last panel, you might not realize that she's hitchhiking and there's Hunter's van right there. Um, and also the fact that the salesman or whatever he is appears to have been killed off panel mm-hmm. because Runabout or Runamuck, whichever one it is, reports that he's been sanitized. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe we maybe we should have seen that because the last thing we saw was they're, per- they're driving after the bus. And then, yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to follow. Yeah. And I was a little surprised that the – bus driver willingly let this girl off in the middle of the desert right yeah and it doesn't i mean luckily it seems to be a fairly well traveled traveled road but from looking at it it looks like it's not a well-traveled road and that she might have been out there for hours (laughs) Uh, or if it is a well-traveled road it's the only well-traveled anything in the area Mm-hmm. Like she's surrounded by desert wasteland. <laughs> yeah. Do buses just leave people in the, de- even if they're sick? Yeah. Can you just leave somebody on the side of the road and outside of Phoenix and desert Arizona? Yeah. It seems like that might be a liability thing. Um, but, but she, she mentioned something about it working every time. So this is not the first time she's done this. So I guess, I mean, she feigns illness and, you know, she, Thinks she mentions that the bus driver can't wait to get her off because, of course, he doesn't want her puking everywhere. But still, it's a but it works out, I suppose. So, Starscream is calling the shots in this, and I kind of love that he's in charge of things as we start the story. Oh, he loves it too. Yeah, he does, right? (laughs) (laughs) It leaves Megatron off the board for a while. And if you know Transformers and you know that Starscream is in charge of anything, he's probably enjoying that way too much. And he's probably going to mess something up. He is fun. <laughs> he is great. <laughs> it was a very quick tra- like little transition from Verity hitchhiking. And then we literally get two little panels of Runabout or Runamuck saying, hey, we found the target, but the, the, the cache is missing. And Starscream saying, find it. And then right back to... Um, Hunter and Verity. Did you think that was a little bit too abrupt? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's... Especially since that first panel, you're not really entirely sure what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. I've decided that it's the inside of Rana whatever's innards, and like where like if his hood were open, it would have, it's like a flashing rectangle of Transformer brain. Like That's what we're looking at. Uh-huh. But you kind of had to figure that out on your own. Yeah. And then but, suddenly, yeah, they're together. We don't know where the hell they got there. I do like that they haven't really shown us. Like, we see Runabout and Runamuck in their car form. Mm-hmm. We see a little bit of the salesman from Runabout's point of view 
and it's very like computery and scanny and whatnot. So we, we haven't, and like when we see Starscream, we just get a look at his, you know, cheeks to chin. So we've not yet gotten a good look at the rope at the Transformers in robot form. So I, I like that they're just kind of teasing it out. There are some similarities in the choices that are made between this issue and the beginning of the 2007 film, mm-hmm. as far as teasing out the appearances of vehicles, using um, communications between them on screen rather than actually hearing their voices, those kinds of things. Um, so I don't know. I feel like this issue came out too close to the first movie for it to actually have informed anyone, but they're making similar decisions for whatever reason. Yeah. A couple year, like this was uh, cover date October tw- 2005, and you said the first movie was 2007? Right. So I feel like they would have been at least written, probably filming the movie by this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so Hunter. I like that we're explicitly told that he's not pervy, so we feel like we can trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to wonder, because he seems to be a conspiracy theory nut, did Furman name this guy The Onion because of the website? I didn't even catch that. Was The Onion around then? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, It was not as big as it is now. And they hadn't started doing uh, their news network videos yet. But their website was around. And they, were, they existed before the website as a paper pro- uh, publication. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I think the website started like 97, 98. Yeah, because he makes a big point of saying like, it's not Onion, it's Onion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um okay so there's a note of technology here um on page that has the bus crash at the top um and hunter's talking to the driver he's like yeah the station's got us on gps they're on their way i feel like it's worth pointing out to all the youths in the audience that having the bus on gps did not mean they had mapping software to guide them there they Ooh. literally had probably a GPS tracker, like a radar. <laughs> they were following yeah. a dot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this might be like the one and only road for the, you know, 50 miles. So maybe they could, maybe that would narrow it down enough. Right. Get them in the right direction. Yeah. And the bus should have a radio too, I'd imagine. Or some kind of communicate. Well, yeah, because he. Like we're on Highway I, I 12 or whatever. Right. Right. So like, I remember like school buses having radios, um, I don't know if it's different uh, on a like a Greyhound because they travel farther. I don't know how it works. Technology. But point is, you know, cell phones were in existence here. Um, they have some kind of communication back with the station that, hey, we got run off the road. We need a little bit of help. Yeah. Now, you said that you just read Man of Iron. Yes. So on the next page, when Hunter holds up that little publication... That yes. art, doesn't that feel like Man of Iron art? Yes, it does. I, and I, I that's sp- great. Yeah, it looks a little bit like uh, uh, like walking through that English village at night. <laughs> yes, and the Transformers like looming in the trees all shadowy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was, it had to be intentional. I don't know if it was intentional. Furman didn't write Man of Iron. Furman didn't come on until later, but um, like within a year. So it was definitely something that was out there in Transformers world whenever he was getting into the Transformers comics as a writer. <laughs> um, I wonder if someone probably has used the mechatopia.com website URL, I would imagine. I'm curious oh, now. I'm going to I'm going to as, as we both go over to our search engines <laughs> and see. <laughs> like we could have done this beforehand, but you know, sometimes. Oh. Like, it appears it's up for grabs. Oh. Wow. So someone out there needs to grab Mechatopia and make a Transformers news conspiracy theory. 
Yeah. Sight. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay. So when we turn the page and we get a two-page splash of Thundercracker zooming over the van, I feel like that changes the tone and the pace of the story immediately. Oh, so hard. And like this was the first time I came across Thundercracker and he immediately became like one of my favorite Decepticons just because like in other reading it's like he doesn't have a lot so far that i've come across mm-hmm. he's kind of um a minor ish character but i love that his gimmick seems to be his huge sonic booms yes yeah he does sadly get lumped in as just starscream and the other guys mm-hmm. who turn into jets um but i do like thundercracker and uh he well, that Man of Iron story, depending on if you're reading it in the original black and white or in the colorized versions, you might I have Thundercracker. Yeah. yeah. So Thundercracker does a lot in that comic, except in another version, whenever each of the sweeps, Starscream and the other two, all appear in that comic. I think yeah. in the original color, though, it's Thundercracker doing most of it. And he dies. He gets yeah. blown up in that story. <laughs> but yeah, like he, he has a great intro in this, in, in um, Infiltration Zero, because mm-hmm. he's so low to the ground um he looks like he's just barely clearing i'm sure there's like you know probably 20 feet or so there but which that's that's not a whole lot of room when you're talking about you know supersonic speeds right Um, and it's just the way he the underside of him is all in shadow and he puts the van in shadow it's just really very intimidating it's probably still too high up, and the fact that he's flying right side up for Hunter to actually see the cockpit. I think Hunter is totally BSing later when he says he saw nobody in there. I think he's just yeah. wishful thinking that this is one of his robots. That's good. That's a good point. Yeah, because it, there's no way he could have seen inside from that angle. You're right. So the sweeps toys had those missile launchers that that attached under their jets with the little spring-loaded missiles. So you push the tiny trigger and it pops the missile out. Mm-hmm. And whenever he launched his missile out of his wing, I was like, just make sure it doesn't go under the bed because um, <laughs> you're never going to find that thing. <laughs> my um, my one large transformer that I have is a God Jinrai. Uh, one of the it's like the Power Master Optimus Prime plus a bit extra, and he has a gun with a missile launcher on it and the missiles are still on the plastic in the box because I don't want to lose them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. If I, if I tried that, my cats would run off with them in no time. Right. Maybe end up under the refrigerator with a bunch of hair ties and And AirPods. My my cats steal my AirPods all the time. (laughs) Um, Ambulances with ceiling missiles don't happen every day. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like they they knew that they were pretty much like I'm surprised they survived that first explosion. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think Thundercracker was trying to just intimidate them. I think he was uh, out to uh, out for blood because he, he says I found the cache about time to contain and purge. And we know that they probably vaporized the the poor salesman who had a bad day. You know, yes. waiting, waiting on a bus, getting stolen from. Though he didn't know that yet. Um, he was just trying to eat his bagel, man. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think if they hadn't jumped in that van, then their involvement in the story would have been very short. Right. Yeah. And luckily, Ratchet, which he must have been kind of tracking runabout and run amok from the bus station onward, because um, mm-hmm. we just happened to see him in the background. He pulls up, and this is the first time that I saw 
that I even knew that they could do these hologram humanoid mm-hmm. projections. Yes. They are so creepy, but I love them. <laughs> <laughs> they are creepy in their like lack of emotion, just like yeah. it's a visual display. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then I was delighted that the 2007 movie, like pretty much early on, they sh- they had that pilot with the mustache and looking around and he glitched. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. I'm glad they incorporated that. Yeah, he glitched just like this guy glitches. It's like yes. the same visual thing, which was another thing. I was like, I wonder if the person who made the movie saw this comic. Yeah. And I, like, he always has this weird thin lip smile. So I imagine that when he speaks, his lips are not moving. No, Hunter, uh, Ratch is just using the speak box, speaker box. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Ratchet, his, his human avatar is this, uh, blonde dude with short hair, um, blue eyes, and, uh, yeah, just nondescript otherwise. Friendly and affable, but otherwise not a, yeah. Uh, we wouldn't be worthy nerds if we didn't mention the Terminator 2 reference. Yes. Um, if, if you want to live, come with me. Right, right. <laughs> and like there so were a few y- X-Files mentions throughout the, uh, throughout the story as well. The sub-molder apparel, I think she already said about his alien t-shirt. Oh, I remember that now that you say it, but I did not pick up on it when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. That's mm-hmm. fun. Nerdy references are fun. They are. Um... Okay, so first appearances in this issue, unless you had any other story thoughts? No, just that I love this as a as an introductory issue and it it was the first one that I read and I was like, okay, I am I am sold. It's great as a zero issue because it grabs you for the story, but it holds a lot of cards to the vest as far as the Transformers and seeing the robots and everything. Like everybody's in vehicle form except for shadowy appearances of Starscream. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. <laughs> so we see Hunter and Ian and Verity Carlo. We see the guy who dies and we think he has a mustache, but it bothers me because it's done with color, not with line work. And so it just looks like he has a wrinkly lip. <laughs> um, I think we're going to get a name for him later, but we don't have one yet. Just that he dies. Yeah. RIP we, salesman. RIP salesman with a mysterious Palm pilot full of information. Yeah. We have ratchet. We have runabout and run amok. We have star scream. We have Thundercracker. Um, and yes, yeah, so if you know your Transformers, Ratchet is an Autobot medic. He's one of the good guys. All the other vehicles in this are bad guys. Runabout and Runabout were twins who their Transformer toy was one of those that like you pull back and it goes. Oh, and those it are, the, I love those. Yeah. And I think if I remember right, they hit the wall and pop up into a transformer. I don't think they actually have like a in-depth transformation. Uh I think there's a trigger when they hit the wall and they turn into like the top of the car pops up in their robots. Oh, that's fun. And I I like that they used Ratchet as the the first introductory Autobot because they did that with issue one of the Marvel series as well. Mm -hmm. I I believe Ratchet was the first. I think, was it Ratchet or Bumblebee? But Ratchet had a, a big role at the beginning with um meeting buster and, uh, yeah, af- and all that. after the after the four issue mini when they go into the ongoing and all the transformers are dead except ratchet so ratchet is very central for a lot of those early chapters um and he doesn't want to be they have that issue called warrior school where the medic has to like put on his warrior boots because he has to go yeah and infiltrate everything um i like ratchet yeah We've talked about Starscream and Thundercracker. Starscream and Thundercracker are also here. Their jet forms are identical toys except for the color scheme. Their robot forms are identical except for the color scheme. But Starscream is very 
iconic to the series. Thundercracker less so, but he's still a very fun character. Yes. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to remember to do this every time, and I'm not sure if it's something that is is going to work well for every issue. But um, one of the things that I'm going to be that we're doing over an upcoming podcast that I'm doing with Blaine, not to be confused with Lane, um, <laughs> Babylon Five Thirty Years Later, Blaine's is- a pain. <laughs> Stephen King Dark Tower reference. Oh, I love the Dark Tower. Yes. <laughs> is just putting a pin in things from this issue that might be worth remembering, not to spoil why they're worth remembering, but just to say, hey. Um, and there's not much in this particular issue, but obviously the contents of that Palm Pilot are going to be important. Yes. And who the guy was and why he had them will play into that. So yes, we'll find because out more he obviously wasn't just a salesman. Not just a salesman with a bagel. He actually had more going on and not just his mustache. <laughs> but yeah, issue zero, episode one. Yay. Yes. I loved it. Five out of five. <laughs> I loved it. I love yeah, this one. Very cool. Very fun. <laughs> so also on your feed right now is episode two, where we are covering the first issue of the IDW series, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then we will be back next week with our beginning of our alternating coverage. This series will return with issue one of Infiltration in next week's episode three. Yes. If you want to live, come with us. Ha 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 ha. All right. So until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. Bye. This podcast is a production of johnreadscomics.com, home of virtually all of the podcasts produced by me, John Wilson. Each show has its own feed on your favorite podcatcher, or the whole group can be followed under the name John Reads Comics. Remember, there is no H in John. Feedback for all shows can be sent to johnreadscomics at gmail.com, and I will plan to read it on a future episode unless you ask me not to. Follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics, and thank you always for listening to podcasts from johnreadscomics.com.